0: member only access at paulstoneSports.org. Now, on to the show.
1: The Masters is over. Uh, college football is still over 4 months away. And I swore off for the most part betting baseball a few years back. Hello again. I'm Paul Stone. This is episode 99 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. This week's version titled Portal Combat. So with the Masters in the rearview mirror and the uh, start of college football season, as I indicated, still well off in the distance, I will spend much of the next 140 days or so purposefully preparing for the 2023 college football season. You know, sure, I'm going to spend some of my time uh, handicapping each week the PGA Tour uh, golf event that week, uh, the matchups. But much of my energy will be devoted for the next four months or so to the upcoming college football season. And a good portion of that time will be devoted to analyzing the impact of the transfer portal. On each team's roster. You know, traditional recruiting, uh, you know, in the old days, mostly high schoolers, you know, signing that second Wednesday each February, again in the old days, and now they can sign in December. You have an early signing period if you follow it closely, and then you can sign again in February uh, when the signing period reopens. But this used to be traditional recruiting, you know, used to be to be frank about it, a relatively small part of my off-season handicapping preparation. And don't get me wrong, you know, I've, I've, I've followed recruiting for more than 30 years. You know, I continue to follow it. I, I was a, a sports writer, as you've probably heard me mention in a former life, and I've covered many recruitments, many big-time pl- – the recruitments of many big-time players – now, I've been to many signing ceremonies uh, as a young uh, sports rider, but for the most part, from a handicapping perspective for the upcoming season, following these players signing in the old days again, those guys they're not going to be ready with rare exceptions to contribute significantly in their first season. You know, just to generalize they're they're in many cases underdeveloped. Uh, You know, they need to put weight on. Uh, They're still getting, you know, acclimated, if you will, to the speed of the game. Uh, They're in new surroundings, uh, new responsibilities, a new social setting, a lot of changes going on. So, those guys, most of them, you know, 18 years old, maybe 17 in some cases, 19 in others, but they're just not ready mentally or physically. But today's transfer portal. You know, man, it is different. You know, you you have in the transfer portal in in some cases, not all cases, but some of these guys, you know, they're three- or four-year starters at one program, and they're perhaps, you know, 22 or 23 years old, and and they've maybe started 30 or 40 games at the FBS level, and now they're looking for a new home. And many of these guys, they're ready-made. They will be impactful. It's just a question of how impactful. So the transfer portal has changed college football, and we talk about college football from a handicapping perspective, and it has certainly changed off-season preparation for college football. Before I go any further, we're going to switch sports and go to the PGA uh, event this week, which is the RBC Heritage uh, at Harbour Town Golf Links uh, in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. I'm not going to go into any explanation or support. Um, golf course uh, is suited to his game, the player that I'm recommending. i got a lot to talk about related to college football tonight and the transfer portal and so forth. So I'm just going to give you a tournament matchup. Take Brendan Todd at minus 125 over Patrick Rogers. Again, that's Todd over Rogers at the RBC Heritage in a full tournament matchup. Shifting gears just ever so slightly, and it all ties together. But people ask me every spring, probably um, at least one person, about spring games, college football spring games. How much stock, Paul, do do you put into what you see in these exhibitions? You know, first of all, I want to preface my comments by saying there's a handicapper or two my respect, who give, you know, give weight to what they see in spring games. You know, folks, there's more than one uh, one way to to skin a, a cat, so to speak. But again, as a former sports writer who has covered spring practices, spring games, covered college football, you know, up close and personal, I essentially give no weight whatsoever to anything that happens in a spring football game. You know, now there, there, there's an injury, you know, to a key player. Uh, that's certainly significant. And, and sure, you know, you might be able to, by watching a spring game, you might be able to gain a sense of who the, the third or fourth wide receiver might be uh, heading into summer workouts, you know, based on the, the personnel groupings or the rotations or whatever. But most of it, especially the offensive statistics, should be consumed with a grain of salt. Why, you ask? You know, that's a fair question. And thank you for asking. It's not football, people. You know, folks, the reason that inexperienced or lesser talented quarterbacks struggle and make poor decisions in real football games, is confusion and pressure, or in many cases, both. And frankly, 99.9% of spring football games in today's climate are not real football games. You know, you can't blitz, you can't hit the quarterback in the pocket, if at all. So quarterbacks, they just sit back with no threat of being tackled, Maybe even no threat of being touched, and probably very little chance of having a big old right paw, you know, block their sight line, uh, get in the uh, the path of their uh, attempted throw, and that big old right paw knocking down one of their throws, you know. So they just sit back there for the most part. Sure, there's probably there might be somebody with the stopwatch who. Times how long it takes them to get rid of the ball if it goes to a certain number of seconds, whatever that count might be, then it's a sack, and the play's over, but they mostly just sit back there and they play pitch and catch with wide receivers, and you will really see some wide receivers have some big games and screen games that won't have that many catches the entire upcoming season, and they're they're probably going up you know against the hodgepodge you know mismatch of defenders um. You know, not the first team defense because some starters are sitting out the game due to injury, and perhaps other starters are sitting out the game due to the possibility of injury. So they're not really going up against the uh, the defense's best. And you know, I would just say in virtually every case, there's just nothing about a spring football game that truly resembles. Real football to the train die. And, and you can rest assured, uh, you know, that most coaches, I'll say this with confidence, probably wish they didn't have to play a spring game. And I think that's why you're slowly seeing, you know, more teams cancel this spring ritual or significantly, you know, modify how the game is conducted. Uh, You know, they they want to get – the coaches want to get out of the game unscathed. They want to get out of this game without any injuries. And then after the game, they want to make it as short as they can. And then they do the obligatory uh, autograph signing and mingling with the fans. And to a lot of them, it really does mean something. And I think it's great that they do that. But they just want to go through the routine, get it done, close that chapter of their preparation for the upcoming season and start getting everything together for, for the off-season uh, workouts and, and so forth for the different player position groups and, uh, and, of course, summer workouts a little bit further down the road. But they just want to get through spring the spring game and the end of spring practice without anybody getting hurt. You know, the 21 practices that they're allotted during the spring, one of which I believe is the spring game, you know, those first 20 are – much, much more important than the actual game, in my opinion. You know, they're able to see guys, how how much stronger they are, how much of the system now that they're getting reps with the first or second team, how do they look getting those reps, um, you know, just their um, understanding of their offense or defense, how they're responding to different uh, coverages and different things that they're faced with. So those, those practices, I think, Hearing that coach speak and hearing them talk about guys, hey, this guy's really come along. He's going to be a player. You know, he's going to play in the NFL someday or things like that. Those are things I think to watch for that are more important uh, than the game itself. So if I'm not watching a bunch of spring games during the latter part of, of March and now certainly into April uh, as I record. It's Wednesday, April 12th, a little bit before 7 p.m. Central. There's a lot of spring games uh, this Saturday, April 15th around the country, and there'll be more as the month goes on. But if I don't watch a lot of college football spring games, then what do I do? Well, kind of back to the original uh, title of this week's podcast, Portal Combat. You know, whether we love it or loathe it, the transfer portal has totally changed college sports. You know, it's basically nonstop, never ending free agency. And in college football, where you've got a 85 player scholarship limit in each program, there's a whole lot of potential for movement. So we had our first, the way the portal works. Uh, if you don't follow it super closely, the first, 45-day window started in early December, I think around December 5th, December 10th, opened for 45 days until mid-January. So right after the conclusion of the 2022 regular season, uh, as some teams were preparing for bowls and playing in bowls, many players entered the transfer portal, and many are already in their new environs for spring practice. So that was one 45-day window. And now the portal will... Officially reopen again this Saturday, April fifteenth, uh, and be open for fifteen days until the end of the month on uh, Sunday, April thirtieth. You know this period again. You know corresponds with the time frame that most schools are going to be concluding. Uh, you know spring practice and holding their spring games and so forth. The movement during this upcoming April window, you know, it's not going to be nearly as significant. Uh, As the earlier 45 day window. uh, You know, again, that window essentially started uh, at the end of this past regular season. But in the reopening, you know, there's going to be lots of movement. Uh, Spring, you know, spring uh, practice is over. They've probably had individual meetings with their coach, their position coach, perhaps even the head coach. And they've probably been told, maybe real bluntly, maybe not quite so bluntly. That you don't figure in our plan, uh, overall plan, you're probably not going to play here. You might want to look for a new home. In some cases, in those meetings, they'll plead for the person to to stay. You know, you're you're a big part of our plans. Please stay here. We need you. Uh, but in some cases, you know, they'll probably tell them that they, uh, you know, they probably don't have much opportunity to to play, and you might want to look for a new place. And in some cases, some of these programs, frankly have to uh, get rid of a few players to get down to the 85 to get down to the 85 player scholarship limit so there is going to be some some movement you know in this uh, in this april uh, time frame Uh, and there'll be some fairly notable players you know changing addresses but again there's just so many potential movers you know you got 85 scholarship players if everybody has a full allotment of scholarship players. There's 131 FBS teams. So in the FBS, you know, that's over 11,000 players, you know, who could potentially move from one school to another. And obviously all 11,000 are not going to change teams. That's not going to happen. Uh, But last year, you know, reports were that over 3,000 players in the FBS entered the portal. Odds are, you know, in my opinion, and I'm just basing this on the fact that it's a relatively new phenomenon, uh, that number is going to be even higher this off season. And as a handicapper, as someone who keeps up with the movement, for every player that leaves one program to join another, you know, two play, uh, two programs rather are impacted. You know, the school losing the player, and the one gaining the player. You know, so a power rating. Or my evaluation or opinion of a team is not only going to be one team in the case of a impactful player, but it will be two teams and to be clear though, again, the majority of the players shifts from a handicapping perspective are going to have very little if any you know impact again on the the pie rating. you know most are not going to change a team's pie rating. And as much, you know, as much as I uh, consider myself to largely be a fundamental handicapper who gains his edge by gathering thorough information about each team's roster and then attempting to fully digest and apply that information, as much as I consider myself to be that fundamental handicapper, even a person such as myself, I don't record each and every transfer. Some are just non conscious. You know, non-consequential. They're not going to make any difference at all. It would not be the best utilization of my time to jot down and write, you know, every time Dick and Harry who changes teams. You know, I'm a person, I've, I've used this term before, I'm sure on my podcast because I use it frequently, but I operate by the rule of 168. And what 168 represents is the number of hours in a week. I've only got 168 hours. I get up really early, but I can only do certain things. I have to prioritize and have to focus and have to be sure that I'm thorough, but at the same time, I have to be efficient. But with all that said, I do record many of them. I record a lot of the, uh, you know, movement of players. Certainly, there won't be starters, but might add depth to to an offensive line, you know, that needs bodies. Might be an FCS player, you know, from an FCS uh, program, the level below FBS, who's played a lot of football there, and they might not be a frontline starter for a power five FBS team, but they might be a guy who can play, you know, give 15 or 20 snaps a game. They can be a backup. Or they can maybe start a game or two in the case of an injury. Or in some cases, they can even develop and perhaps be that starter. But I do record a lot of the portal transfers. I have a bright, shiny, new red spiral notebook. It's already full. There's no telling how many words I've written in it. Notes and names compiled over the last three months. Uh, and as much, um, I'll say this, as much as the transfer portal increases our workload, as much as it intensifies a college football handicapper's off-season preparation, I view the portal as a plus. I view it as my friend. I've always said, you know, from as a handicapper, the more confusion, the better. The more clutter, the better. And I believe that. You know, confusion and clutter are the friend Not of every handicapper, but of the hardworking, tireless, diligent handicapper. You know, one of the ways we can overcome the burden that I talk about often, the burden of having to lay 11 to get back 10, is to outwork the house. To outwork the person or persons originating the number. So it, it stands to reason then, the more there is to consider, the more volume of work to be performed, the greater opportunity we as handicappers have to outwork the book. So as much as it makes me work harder and get up earlier, and I wish sometimes that I didn't have to uh, consider all this, and it's not the end all be all, it's not all I do in the all season jot down people transferring from one program to another but it's certainly a big part of what i do but to kind of you know just put it in a nutshell and this is a little bit uh again it all ties in together but it's really a unique part and it kind of just tells the story of what we try to accomplish as, as sports handicappers if we do this on a serious level and if our goal indeed is to be a long-term winning sports handicapper, you know, if you take a two-sided coin that has two outcomes, you know, heads or tails, and you flip it, you know, I would believe that the outcomes, you know, heads or tails, are approximately equal the larger their sample size gets. You know, you as you flipped it into the dozens of times, then into the hundreds of times and ultimately into the thousands of times, and so forth, it's probably going to be pretty much a 50-50 split between heads and tails the larger that sample size becomes. And I, and uh, you know, a few other people like myself, we do all this preparation, we do all this work, put in all these hours in pursuit of 5 or 6%. We're trying to 55 or 56 percent, just you know, sounds pretty uh, like a pretty modest percentage over that coin flipper, but we're trying to get five or six percent above that coin flipper, and only three percent or so above the 52.38 percent threshold uh, necessary to break even against standard uh, 110 juice uh, on straight bets. So it sounds so modest, but uh, it's such a challenge. Uh, and in reality, I think few are able to accomplish it. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's just some of my thoughts on spring football games and the fact that rather than focus on those spring games and read a bunch of articles about who's looking great in the spring, and I certainly do read those types of articles. I don't think for a minute that I don't, but I focus more of my attention on just getting a a good feel for who's on each team's roster because it's so ever-changing. It's like, it's like a fluid, uh, you know, like a moving target almost, you know, you're trying to, who's, who's still on the team. So many people change teams, you know, I, when I can't sleep at night, I'm thinking who's the quarterback for that team and who's their quarterback now. And I'm just, I'm solidifying this stuff in my mind just to know it, to be sure I have a grasp of each team to prepare for media appearances and things like that. But man, it's just a crazy time for college football. I still love it. It's different. Um, You know, whether it's my, my choice, your choice, whether we like it, love it or loathe it. Cause I said earlier, you know, it is what it is. And, um, We're going to, you know, as handicappers, certainly we have to uh, consider what is uh, placed before us, you know, what the landscape is, what it allows for, uh, and what there is to consider. And uh, certainly that transfer portal is uh, a huge part of it. Transfer portal, again, doesn't officially open until this Saturday, April 15th. But some players are already announcing. uh, They're basically saying they've entered the portal. They're essentially... Announcing their intentions to enter the portal because they officially won't be registered into the portal until Saturday, April 15th, if I understand correctly. But it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens, who changes addresses. There'll be, uh, you know, there's going to be a, uh, uh, you know, a a pretty uh, big stunner, I'm sure, or two, perhaps. Maybe not the biggest, biggest names in college football. I don't mean those kind of guys, but certainly Productive starters, who a lot of the majors and blue bloods will be after, uh, will uh, will announce their intentions to go into the uh, transfer portal, whether it be because of an NIL deal at a, a new school, even though schools and their representatives are not supposed to contact players before they enter the portal, but we know how that goes. Whether it be an NIL deal at a different school, whether it be a disagreement with a coach or oh, you know, they're not feeling loved enough, whatever the deal might be. And sometimes, you know, they get NIL deals at a school and the um, terms of that deal don't come to fruition in the manner that they thought. You know, they're not getting as much money or as much consideration as they believe was presented to them, either contractually or verbally or both or whatever. So there's just a lot of stuff. To, to go on here, and uh you know uh, we're all big boys and girls, so you know the more the more money and the more material things are involved, the more people uh, are going to seek the best deal for themselves, the more people are going to get their feelings hurt over what other people are getting, and those types of uh, human things that happen, whether it be college football or other aspects of our lives and other professions or whatever so um We know how that goes. But I'm rambling a little bit now. I've been talking about this for about 25 minutes. So we're going to call it a day for episode 99 again. This was Portal Combat. Have a great uh, April. Hope you have some beautiful spring weather in your part of the country. Until next time, signing off once again, I am Paul Stone.
0: Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast.